The Mac Observer is Mac Geek Gab number 105 for May 28th, 2007. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. Hi, John. How are you, sir? Was there something different in that intro? <laughs> we got that intro from a listener not too long ago, so I figured I would use it for today's show. Happy Memorial so Day, everybody. having some audio fun. <laughs> yeah. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. At least uh, Memorial Day in the U.S. Here. Uh, yep. Yep. And uh, we've got all kinds of stuff in the show to go through tonight. It, uh, a lot of questions that involve not just straight answers, but uh, but opinion-based answers and answers that involve a little bit of theory, which, yep, you know. that's our favorite. Those are our favorite. That's right. Yeah. So we can never really be wrong. <laughs> well, that's not why they're our favorite. They're our favorite because we, <laughs> you know, we get to actually interact and talk a little bit as opposed to just say, yeah, and, go do this X, Y, and Z. And we don't mind the X, Y, Z stuff either. They... They in, 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 illicit oh, yeah. tangents. That's right. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So uh, but... let's just get right to it. Why don't, why don't we listen to what uh, Stefan, at least Stefan's first question is. I think Stefan's actually got two. So mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll start here. Hi, John and Dave. This is Stefan from Hamburg, Germany. I was wondering if I could upgrade my PowerBook G4 with a newer and faster hard drive. Right now, it's equipped with a 4,000-something rotations drive. And I'd like to upgrade it with a 7,000-something drive. However, I only found SATA drives, and those wouldn't fit into the PowerBook. So I was wondering if there are drives available which I could use. I don't think a 5.4 or something uh, rotations drive would uh, really up the speed. So thank you for answering my question. I love your show, and goodbye. Thanks, Devin. Uh Okay, well, there's a couple of questions here. There's one that you asked and then one that you didn't ask that we're going to answer anyway. But let's start with the first one, and that is uh, what type of drive to use and does, this, does the speed matter? And I guess that's really even two questions in and of itself. Mm-hmm. As, as he found, SATA drives uh, are not appropriate for older power books. Uh, those require ATA drives, or ATA-133 drives, I think. Right, John, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, which we could also call... Uh, Parallel ATA, those people That's just right. say. Yes. Because it's the opposite, kind of. Well, no, a different flavor of ATA. Uh, SATA being the newer and uh, usually faster, of course. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so you, you need to get an ATA drive, and there are plenty of them on the market. Um, you, you can check all over the place, anywhere. I, you know, I find some at uh, Trans International, Transintel.com. I know they, they sell drives, but you, can, you, can, you don't have to buy Mac-specific drives. You can buy them from buy.com in fact you could check you know our deals on the web.com site to to check for deals on on uh, ata drives yep they're they're one of my favorites um and i guess now he has the same machine i have right in front of me here okay um the powerbrick g4 so so just to toss out one strategy for uh finding a quick match um because it sounds like he wants well, well it sounds like he wants more performance but i suspect he may also want more space um but, but doing what I'm going to suggest will help him uh, steer towards both. So if you, um, you know, I guess the quickest thing would be to, uh, or, or what I would do if I want to approach this problem, which we'll talk about why I wouldn't necessarily want to do it myself in a moment. Yeah. But about this Mac, you go to about this Mac, you click on more info, 
and you would click in, in this case on this my PowerBook G4, you would click on ATA and it shows you the drive in here and it says it's a Hitachi HTS blah blah blah, you know, model number. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but one thing to do would be to just take that model number, paste it, you know, do a Google search. And you'll come up, uh, in this case, I came up with a Hitachi spec sheet on it. It's also called the Travel Star 5K100 um, series drive, which it comes in various capacities. So in my case, I think I have an 80. So here it shows me the data sheet for the drives. And actually, they also have a serial ATA, but they have parallel as well. So step one would be to take the drive you already have, punch in the model number, and see what comes up. Um, now, that'll give you a starting point as to the specifications for the drive. Um, in this case, of course, he found that the, you know, uh, interface was different. Um, so one place to start there. Now, as far as, I don't know, we're going to wind around a little bit here, but yep. as far as wanting to do this oneself. Well, I mean, actually, let's let's answer the, the second part of his question, which was, should he get, you know, if he wants faster performance, should he uh, go up to 5,400 or 7,200? Now, I've done this. I, I upgraded a, a, a PowerBook. It was a 15-inch PowerBook, but a, a couple of years ago. And I went from the stock drive, which I believe was 4,500 RPM, up to a 7,200, and I definitely noticed a speed increase. Now, what I noticed the speed increase with was launching apps and moving kind of moving data around within apps. Uh, I, I think the seek time got a lot faster uh, with with the speed increase, with the rotational speed increase. Uh, it certainly can, in my experience, increase the data throughput, but more than that, it, it increases this or it, it reduces the lag time which it takes you to jump from from one spot on the drive to the other. That that's been my experience with it um, in in real world testing. Not necessarily uh, okay. the benchmarks don't always show that. The, the benchmarks will often show increased throughput, but I didn't really find right. that. I didn't find that as much of a of a factor uh, as, as I did the just the snappiness of it uh, moving things around. So that's why with my MacBook Pro, I actually went with the uh, yeah. with the, the 7200 RPM drive. Okay, now I'm curious because, all right, so, so one thing that was mentioned here, and I think it's, it's probably a good assumption, but not, uh, you know, universal, is that higher RPMs mean better performance. I would say in general, but I, I think that the, the thing that's important to mention is that there are a whole bunch of other aspects, and we'll just mention them quickly, that can also contribute to the better or poorer performance of a drive. So RPM is certainly one of them. Faster RPM, you're probably going to get better performance. But I, I would say another thing to consider is cash. Okay, uh, yeah. More cash on the drive, the better in general. And like, you know, I've seen some, you know, 16 meg and is, is not an unusual figure for some of the uh, the latest drives, maybe smaller on the portables. Yep. Like for example, I think the... Uh, the one I have only has eight. Yes, yeah, so, so it has eight megs. So more cache is good. Uh, what you mentioned, Dave, I think or hinted at is latency. Um, and latency is, the, the I believe, the amount of time before, between you saying, please give me this, and the time you get it. Right. Uh, right. So that, I think, ties into RPM, and the two are related. Seek time is another where the head of the drive, how long does it take to find when you tell it to go look for something. And that you know, can vary depending on where on the drive it is. Uh, but I think something to look at if you're really concerned about the performance of the drive, there, there's one site that I really like, and I think Dave has been there too, uh, Tom's Hardware. Absolutely. 
yeah, uh, is a site where you know the, the the bunch over there. I think it's more than just Tom. Um, will so, you yeah. know showcase a whole bunch of uh, computer hardware, including drives. And what they did, and I looked, you know, they will they will uh, run benchmarks. And and the important figure that you want to look at if you're concerned about performance would be the megabyte throughput of the drive. I think in general, and all other factors lead to that being greater. Um, you know, faster RPMs, bigger cache, and all that—you'll get more throughput. You're never going to get the throughput that—that that is the bus speed. So, if there's like an ATA 100, which is 100 megabytes in theory per second, you're never going to see that with current drive technology that I've seen. At least, you know, the the, the SATA drives. Um, you may get half that, and that's something to look for on the spec of the drive as well. Is that the drive? They'll say, "Here's the bus speed," but then here's the actual speed that I can pull the data off the media and get it to the outside world. Right as quickly as possible. And so I would say that's the most important figure and all of the things we just mentioned will lead to that number being bigger and bigger and therefore you will notice uh, greater snappiness. Okay, so, so let, um, let's talk quickly about uh, his his decision or, or at least his proposal to do this himself. My experience with this, and I, and I think you agree, John, is there are many computers out there, a lot, mostly desktops, that are very, very easy to take apart. There have been some, some laptops that are also easy to take apart. However, for those of you that haven't taken apart a laptop, the best way to think about a laptop is that it is built in layers. It's not just you pull off the case and everything's right there in front of you. What they do in order to cram all this stuff into laptop is it's just layers and layers of different components that all add up to whatever the laptop is. Now, obviously, the keyboard, you know, is going to be all the way on the top. Many times the battery connector is all the way on the bottom, but that can that not necessarily, you know, you can have batteries that slide in and out the side. And then everything else is sort of packed in there wherever it can fit, uh, you know, and the, obviously the, the, the motherboard has to span across the machine or at least be able to get to both sides on the on the Apple laptops so that the ports can get there. Some laptops, of course, have the ports on the back, et cetera, et cetera. Current Apple laptops, and I would say that this goes for uh, the previous round of, of, of PowerBooks as well, are very, very difficult uh, to get at the drive. They, the, oh, yeah. the hard drive is, is the, the worst thing to have to get to. RAM is, of course, often very easy, and, uh, and other components just may happen to be easy or not. For whatever reason, my experience has shown me that hard drives are, uh, are, are the worst. In fact, I had a client down in Connecticut when I was living there, who called me and begged me, he's actually a very famous musician, called me and begged me, look, my son's hard drive is shot, uh, and I need the, I, I need to get the data off of it. Or my, Sorry, my son's uh, iBook is shot. I need to get the data off the drive. I can't get the iBook to boot. You know, the motherboard's fried. And I told him, I said, look, look I'll, I'll do this for you, but it's not going back together. We're, it's, this is a one-way trip. You know, we're, we're going to get the drive out. We're going to put it in an external case, and that's the end of the computer. You're never going to see the computer again. It's going in the trash. And, and he agreed, and it was fine. But I, I won't take laptops apart, not mine, not anyone else's. I wind up sending them off to, uh, oftentimes, to techrestore.com. They, they'll do these sort of uh, upgrades for you and include the labor of, uh, and shipping, in fact, of, of the unit back and forth as well as the, uh, the you know the the labor to do the uh, to do the job and and they're pros they've got all the right tools they trust us when we say 
You don't want to do this yourself. Do you have anything quick to add there before we before we move on to uh, Robert's uh, Robert's next question? Jack? Very quick. Some some prior Apple models. I do remember the Titanium PowerBook was amazingly easy. Mm-hmm. You, you 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 would pull the keyboard up and there was the hard drive right there. That's right. Yep. And yes, I have the PowerBook G4, and it's the total opposite. You look at the machine, you're like, wow, it's so beautiful, and just you know, there's the nice seams and stuff. But then you think, how do I get inside of it? And <laughs> That's the downside of having such a nicely crafted piece of hardware. And actually, my my Dell also is very nice for that. There's a little door on the bottom. It looks kind of ugly, but you unscrew it, and there's the hard drive in there. Don't like a tank. Yep. Okay. All right. Here's Bob. Hey, guys. This is Robert Hazelrig. I was calling because I was thinking about buying not the new, the brand new MacBook, but a closeout MacBook. And I wanted to get the black one, the, the, what used to be the top-of-the-line model, which is now sort of equivalent to the mid-of-the-level uh, MacBook. And I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. I mean, why, would, why wouldn't you buy the black one, or what advantages does the new mid-level white one or top-of-the-line uh, white one uh, have over the old one, other than the processor speed. Is there anything else going on there? I'd appreciate any uh, thoughts you might have on that. Thank you. Okay, you asked two questions, and I'll answer the first, and we'll turn to John for the second. The first is, why would you or wouldn't you buy uh, one of these machines? And I'll tell you, my experience with Apple refurbs, I'm assuming we're talking about refurbs directly from the Apple Store. Um, You can get them online. Go to the Apple Store and, and click on that hot deals thing kind of down toward the right, and, and then you'll get there. Um, I've bought many, many refurb machines in the past. We actually just bought one for uh, for somebody here at, at, uh, at the office. Anytime I need to buy an Apple machine, if, I, if it's available as a refurb, I'll do it that way. There's no – oftentimes, there's no reason not to. You get the same warranty that you do. If you bought it new and it's actually been through the hands of a technician, it's not just off the assembly line and shipped to you with potentially some problems. These these machines are fully vetted out. So you're actually paying less for a machine that's that that's even better in, in, in many ways. Uh, however, you do need to, as Robert indicated, compare the specs and figure out, OK, really, what is the difference? And, and for that, uh, I, I think, John, you've got the, the magic answers for us. Yes. Here comes the magic. That's not magic. No, it's not. We make it look easy. That's right. (laughs) We know the questions ahead of time. So, yeah. Um, So, anyways, uh, what you do is go to the Apple site, click on support, and you'll notice a sub-tab called specifications. Ah. And now, they're not always as comprehensive as I I would like, but but anyway, so looking at these two models uh, that Robert mentioned, which was, uh, and I narrowed it down to the... MacBook late 2006, I would say, is the prior, uh, what it's going to be called from this point forward. And now the latest ones um, is called the uh, mid-2007 MacBook. And the only difference I could find between the two, and I compared all the specs at least that they made available, as far as processor cache, system bus, all that great stuff, is that the late 2006 machines, the 1.83 MacBook, only had 2 megabyte of shared level 2 cache. All okay. of the others, including the the faster two gig ones that were made in 2006, have four megabytes shared. And I guess 
the only really uh, speed bump was that uh, the very latest ones go up to 2.16. Yes, 2.16. Yep. But they were all Core 2 Duo. So that's the only difference that I could see in, in what they made available here, uh, you know, via hard drive memory and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm with Dave. I, I think in the past sometimes they would be kind of chintzy on the warranty for refurbs, like 90 day instead of one year. But I just did a, you know, look through, and it seems that they offer the same warranty and you can get Apple Care. Of course. Um, yeah, that's right. So for the same yeah, price, unless yeah. you, you know, I mean, if you're really, you know, obsessive about a little smudge, though, I'm sure they would replace that if the case was destroyed. I've or something. never, in, in my experience, I've been through probably half a dozen that I've had personally uh, or, or had with people close to me. That's yeah. what the mute button there is for, John, when you cough. Um, it, the uh, I've never had one come to me with any sort of physical uh, blemish or, or any sort of technical defect. They, they come pristine. The only thing you don't get is the, 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 the normal box. You, you just get a cardboard, you know, kind of corrugated box. It's all safe and, you know, padded and just mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be, but it doesn't have the pretty pictures on it. So our sponsor, our first sponsor for this show is AudioEngineUSA.com. AudioEngine makes the A5 speakers that you've heard John and I speak so much about. They have uh, five way. They, they are two separate speakers. They are desktop speakers p powered by AC, so you got to plug them into the wall. And the, each speaker has two drivers in it, delivers a full range of audio. These things sound amazing. I use them here in the studio all the time uh, for mixing the show and also mixing and just listening to uh, to music. Now it's got a subwoofer output if you feel like you need more bass and. You'd only need that if you really wanted thumping bass, but it's got it if you want it. They come in black and white. They've got an iPod charging connector on the top as well as a mini eighth input on the top. And you can plug an Airport Express into the power connector on the back. So you can put these somewhere with your Airport Express. All you need is one AC outlet and wireless. You're good to go. A5 speakers from AudioEngineUSA.com. Um, by the way, ADAT does stand for Alesis Digital Audio Tape, and those are the eight-track devices that record to, I believe it's S, they have to be SVHS tapes, um, basically capable of recording slightly higher resolution video than standard VHS. But anyway, as far as I know, they work on the same connector, but they do not. There's some electronics that's different. As far as I know, it's relatively simple to make an ADAT port also accept uh, SPDIF, but unless you specifically put ADAT circuitry in, uh, any SPDIF port will not necessarily accept ADAT. Um, that's, that's all I have to say. Oh, I, do, I do use a uh, Digi002 system that has ADAT, and I have used it on occasion with, with uh, various devices. Um, and the reason they call it ADAT for tape drive is because that, or tape devices, is because uh, that's where it first came out and became popular. Uh, thanks. Bye. So that that answers the uh, one of the questions we had in last week's show, and I appreciate you, the anonymous listeners, sending in the comment there. Always good to add your name, add you the a uh, little bit of personality to the to the show, especially when we have informative audio questions like that or audio comments well, like that. Well, you know, it could be for people that got caught that that's just right. Don't want us to witness protection program track them down. That's yeah. right. Uh, Otto writes in. Moving on to some troubleshooting. Otto writes in and says, I have a question about my iBook G4. When I just got my iBook, it kernel panicked all the time. It got so bad, it took, I took it back to the store, and after weeks, they found that my hard drive was too full. 
they advised me to keep at least 15% free. On my 100 gigabyte drive, that means 15 gigabytes of storage space that I can't use. I've kept this space free and the iBook worked just fine ever since. However, now that my external hard drive crashed, I really need to use some of that space. My question is, can I safely fill that space up or should I really leave 15 gigabytes free? Thanks for motto. Uh, my feeling on this is you do need to leave some space free. Uh, you know, we always used to say 10 or 15% as the rule. However, drives have gotten so big that as Otto found, 10 or 15% is a significant chunk of, of space. I mean, 15 gigs is, you know, a lot more than I had on my first hard drive. Some of that's necessary to be free. Mac OS, we've talked about it before. Mac OS 10 uses virtual memory to uh, to manage uh, memory. And sometimes it can use up, you know, two, three, four gigabytes on your hard drive. So you definitely want to have that kind of space free. You don't want to put the machine in a situation where it's going to go grab, try to grab more RAM uh, or virtual memory rather than you have available because that will cause these kernel panics. I've seen really? that. Really? So... Wow. Yeah. I want to check that. I just can't imagine that the OS would make an attempt to grab something that it could conceivably well, say. Well, it doesn't, know, like, it doesn't try to grab need. it. it mm. It's that it knows it can't, and it now has hit a wall. It, you know, mm -hmm. it can't grab it. It needs it for whatever it's going to do. I mean, if, you know, let's say he's, Otto's only got 512 megs of RAM. Um, mm. You know, if, he, if he's got tons of applications open. It, the machine's going to keep grabbing more and more virtual memory. If he's only got a gig free on his drive, and suddenly he needs, you know, a, a second gig of virtual memory, or mm. even if he's only using the, even if the the OS says, okay, well that's fine, you know, I, I'll use what what you have available, and then that's that. If he's got no space left on his boot drive, temp files can't be created. All kinds of havoc uh, is going to happen, uh, and it will kernel panic. I've, yep, I've yep, seen it yep. many, many times. So, so you don't want to run out of space, and you need to leave a couple of gigs free for uh, for virtual memory. I, I recommend you know five. If I see my machine get to less than five free, and I've just restarted it, uh, you can with something like menu meters, you can see how much virtual memory is in use. And uh, and no, okay, yeah. Look, I'm only seeing that I've got two gigs free, but three of its, you know, three of my free space is already used by virtual, so it's probably not going to grow a whole lot bigger than that. You kind of learn to gauge. Um, but yeah, I would say leave at least five free, but go ahead and use that other ten if you really have to. It will slow things down. Um, you know, as as you as you pack a drive full, it it will get less efficient as as to how it can manage the data on the drive. But if you need it, yeah. you need it. So. That'd be my concern. Would be that it would start thrashing as it starts running out of places to put data, and your performance is really going to just yeah. nosedive. Yeah. Um, and if it thrashes yeah. too much, apps will will you know will cause crash and, and potentially cause kernel panics. So. And I guess a, a restart every now and then isn't a bad idea because I've gotten up to sometimes like six swap files, and I'm like that that's a bit too many. Six or seven, I think. Yeah. I, you know, you you hit on of course one of my 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 little pet peeves and that is the people that try to keep their Macs running as long as they possibly can uh damn the torpedoes you know what i mean and and uh it my experience is uptime ain't as important as reliability and rebooting mm -hmm. your mac you know even once a week it is a very very valuable thing to do it it can really kind of stave off all of these problems so that and 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 this is this is one of them Got it. But I do know that we have many, many geeky listeners. It is a common practice in the geek community 
and uh, to to see how long we can have our max run. So that's when you use something like iFreeMem to uh, you quit all your apps and you run iFreeMem and kind of flush things out and and let it sit overnight. And even though you got your uptime preserved, uh, it, it, it the system will start to close down all of those uh, swap files. So perhaps that's the the magic answer for uh, to keep us happy and to keep you happy. There you go. Larry writes. Uh, well, I, I need to get uh, past his praise here, and we appreciate your praise. Uh, the problem I'm seeking help with is affecting my iMac G5, which is about two years old. Until now, this Mac has been absolutely trouble-free. It stays on all the time, except for the occasional reboot required for regular monthly maintenance. There we go. Recently, however, I've been experiencing crashes when the machine wakes from sleep. I checked the support forums and have tried various fixes suggested, resetting power management, zapping PRAM, etc., to make matters worse, these crashes tend to come and go. Once the machine is rebooted, it runs perfectly. I realize this is a fairly minor issue at this point, but I'm concerned it is a symptom of some bigger trouble ahead. Your thoughts would be appreciated. Uh, Larry, I have seen this symptom a few times on a few different machines, and for me, every time it has been the sign of either a failing hard drive or a hard drive with an outdated driver, the latter being a problem that I haven't seen in well over 10 years um, because th there are no hard drive drivers don't, don't tend to be firmware. I mean, don't tend to, to just, that's not an issue. So I've seen it be a hard drive. I've it, it could of course be other things. And I think John, you've got a couple of ideas there. A couple of them, um, you know, after sleep, uh, I'm thinking, you know, a power manager reset. That's what or maybe yeah, he a, said he did that. Yeah. Uh, or uh, permissions. Yeah. Yeah, it could be permissions. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm thinking maybe disutility permissions. There could be a weird permission when it tries to uh, come back to life. But yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, it could be. Uh, it could be flaky hardware. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Th I I wouldn't think it would be RAM. Um, RAM tends to be an issue while it's running. It could be a video card thing. And, of course, a video card is soldered ah. in. Now, did he try this? I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, creating a new user and see if it still happens. Ooh. Well, that's standard. That's actually standard, uh, you know, AppleCare, you know, level one. Or, yep. You know, lowest level stuff, which does make sense a lot of times. If you start having a problem, create a new user. Yeah, and the assumption is that that whatever is cause is wreaking havoc will not be part of the new user environment. Though, you know, if you install things globally, um, you know that that could change. But it, yeah, create a new user can, and see yeah. if it still happens. If it does, then yeah, then I definitely lean towards a uh, you know hardware issue. Yeah, that could that could uh, that could definitely be. Uh, you you had also said something about the, when we were doing our pre-show prep, John. I think you'd mentioned something about a screensaver. Potentially being an issue. Yeah, I was looking at that. I, I've run into that a few. I've run into just screensavers in general that, um, you know, that cause problems that aren't written right. None of the built-in ones, but some third-party ones. So you may want to just, you know, disable your your whole screensaver uh, uh, environment there. Go to that pref pane and then uh, see if that changes it. So yep. between that and making a new user and you know checking out your. Uh, Trying to go to another heart. No, that that's extreme. No, it you know. could. You, yeah, the, the the new user thing. I it could have something to do with you know a damaged pref file or or something that uh, just doesn't like when it's coming back up. So, could certainly. Yeah, be. and of course the uh, well, our favorite the uh, you know system log. That's right. Console. 
That's right. Yeah. Console. Somebody may may you know let out a little cry for help before they take the system down. So. <laughs> looking at the log and seeing if somebody's saying, oh my gosh. <laughs> Our next sponsor for the show is Smile on My Mac. Of course, it's smileonmymac.com and their fax software, PageSender 4. PageSender 4, of course, allows you to fax anything that you can print. It can also receive faxes using your fax modem and filter out spam faxes, which is something we actually see a lot of here, especially at Backbeat Media. Uh, you can... Also, attach any additional PDF when you're faxing and works with uh, any popular address book software or email clients, so very universal. It's also, for the geeks out there, fully scriptable, and there's some examples for how you can Apple script this, and also some FileMaker Pro 8 examples uh, built in as well. So, a lot of stuff to tie in together for you FileMaker users. Maybe uh, this is the answer you've been looking for for $39.95 U.S., Smile on my Mac's page sender four available at smileonmymac.com. And we'll go back to Stefan with uh, another unrelated question. Hi, John and Dave. This is Stefan from Hamburg, Germany. I got one problem concerning Spotlight and fast user switching. I keep my private data in an encrypted image called Private DMG that is automatically mounted when my user is logged on. I created another account for my girlfriend on the system and when I use fast user switching to log on to her account and use Spotlight it finds data that is stored in the mounted image. Although I changed the owner of the mount point volumes private to my user and the rights to 700, theoretically it should not be possible to get Spotlight results from the data inside this volume from an account that does not have those rights. If I unmount the private image before fast user switching, nothing shows up from the other account. Have you got any ideas on this odd behavior, short of buying my girlfriend her own MacBook? I love your show. Thanks so much and goodbye. Uh, you know, John, I know we talked about this, and uh, and there's a couple of things I'm going to try. I'm going to suggest trying, and I came up with another while while I was just listening here. Do you, do you have any thoughts at first before I before I go all crazy on this here? Yeah, well, I think the part that I, I picked up listening again was that so it's mounting this image, right? And, which is how that works. That, I mean, that, that's yeah, how the it encrypted, works. yeah. And this is using a, a file vault, right? I would, I would assume, yeah. It, that, that's right. Yeah. All right. I'm wondering what. Yeah. So then, one would think that the permissions on that would be uh, be correct. I guess you could always use a you know our, our pal this utility and make sure that's the case because I've seen. In some cases, when you run it, it'll it'll say that permissions are, are set up incorrectly. So, how would that apply to an image file? No, I'm not entirely it, clear on that. Yeah, it, it shouldn't. Okay, so so I've got a couple of ideas. One is that it's possible the Spotlight, of course, builds a cache, and if you've got this drive uh, mounted once with permissions that presumably uh, allowed your girlfriend's account in to to index the drive, well, then the cache. Is, it exists there. So you need to remove this from the cache and rebuild the cache. And you can do that from the terminal with the mdutil command. I believe if you do, do mdutil space dash h, it will kind of give you a bunch of commands. But I think it's dash capital E space and then uh, the path to the drive. So slash volume slash whatever. Uh, that that will force it to from her account to rebuild this cache and 
perhaps that's where this was coming from. If that doesn't work, um, you mentioned that you you changed you used a ch mod to change the permissions to 700. Did you just do it for the top level of the drive, or did you do it for the whole drive? And and the 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 difference there would be to I, I think there's that checkbox apply these permissions to uh, all enclosing folders, and if you're doing it from the terminal. It is, uh, instead of just saying chmod 700 and then the directory, it's chmod space dash capital R space space 700 and the directory. And the capital R means recursively go through and actually change the permissions on every file and folder that you find, you know, past this one, essentially. And that 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 was the thing that came to me while I was listening to it the second time through. And that, that may be the trick. The other thing would be if it does show up on her desktop... Uh, go into her spotlight and drag the drive into the private pane of spotlight so that it doesn't try to index index this. Of course, if she really wants to see it, then she'd just go in and remove it from private, and if nothing else changed, it would still be able to index it. So those are a, a whole truckload of, of options there. But uh, based on personal experience, uh, and and I won't tell the story here because I, I already told one Lisa story last week, and I think that's enough for for three or four shows. But but <laughs> trust me when I say uh, that having a separate machine for you and your uh, girlfriend, spouse, partner, wife, husband uh, is not a bad idea. So that's uh, that that's my word. I I concur. Wisdom. Yeah. 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 Everybody needs their own computer. It just works out better that way. Anything to add before I move on to Michael's network geekiness segment here? No, I I, I okay. rarely uh, do multi-user setups, so uh, mm. I don't know about you. I oh yeah, we well we have one iMac in the house that everybody uses, so but uh, okay. but nobody I don't think nobody stores any you know hypersensitive data on it. I certainly don't. So <laughs> uh, Michael writes since my. Airport uh, base station is constantly rebooting. He's got this new N version. I'm trying to get some logs. I can't use the airport utility for that purpose since it's not streaming the logs. Also, as soon as the airport base station reboots, it dumps the logs internally. So I'm trying to stream the logs to my MacBook using the advanced and an advanced logging and SNMP syslog destination address. In that field, I've entered the IP address of my MacBook. I've connected it using Ethernet, disabled airport, syslog level set to debug, update. Then I open my console and nothing. I've looked at the different logs everywhere and I can't find anything. Any idea? Yeah. You need to enable syslog, remote syslogging on your Mac because otherwise your Mac would just, if it was on by default, anybody that wanted to just stream data at your Mac could fill up log files and really you've got to enable it and tell it what to do with this data that's coming in. It normally would put it in system.log, I believe, or is that messages on the Mac? I get so confused because I used different Unixes all the time. But I think on the Mac, it's system.log. So var slash var slash log slash system.log. It'll just put things in there by default. Um, but you can you can configure it to put it anywhere you like uh, within reason. And there are instructions at a macOS10hints.com article uh, for how to do exactly this. And so we aren't, we aren't going to rehash them here. It's, it's the type of thing where it's better to see it while you're doing it anyway. So that's the... That's my answer there. John, do you have anything to add? No, but the thing rebooting, that's that's really bizarre. Yeah, I'm I, scratching my head over that. Why I'm thinking it, it uh, just needs to be replaced. 
Yeah, or you know, maybe try to blast it with some new firmware or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but yeah, re a rebooting network device of any sort is, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got it doesn't run any you know third party software. It's just pretty much firmware, so it it either works or it doesn't. Shall we move on yeah. to some cool stuff that uh, that our listeners found here? I will. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, try I and think find so. It. I'm just wondering what else the he uh, what, oh, okay. what the heck else, and then we'll move on. But I'm wondering what the heck else this thing is. Uh, this base station is hooked up to. If it's just fighting with another piece of equipment, it just eventually gives up. I but, guess. I guess yeah, it's we, we possible. Yeah, it's possible that it's you know got an IP address conflict happening out there on the on the WAN port. Perhaps I, I can't. I, I Just imagine, I, I've yeah. seen these situations sometimes where you get into this like you know you know spiral of death here where you know two devices just will not give up they they both just keep telling each other you know I'm, no way and the other one says no way and they just <laughs> <laughs> it's not pretty when it happens you and I think have debugged enough of those to not want to see him again yeah you anyways don't on to on to uh, Jean Paul actually wrote in with. <laughs> You know, we were talking about audio conversion utilities, and Jean-Paul was on the Apple site and found a conversion utility called Max. Now, we talked about uh, Sound Converter, I think, right, last week? Yep. Yeah, and that does a, a pretty good um, – yeah, yeah, I think that's been around in one form or another for a while. But uh, yeah. This Max yeah, this, thing, this thing. It, it pulls stuff off of CD, but what's really cool is, of course, it'll convert to MP3 or AIFF or WAVE, but uh, it will also convert to Aug Vorbis – and FLAC and AAC Apple lossless. So you can, and, and the FLAC is actually very cool. If you've, if you've got stuff that you really want in truly lossless format, you know, that, that's, that's a standard one. It's not uh, Apple specific. It is, uh, you know, cross-platform people have been using it. It doesn't allow you to play the music. Uh, you, you, I don't believe there are any real-time FLAC players. But uh, but there's certainly uh, you know it's a it's a way of archiving things if you've got some stuff that that you just don't want to lose, and uh, and then of course you've got the AAC Apple lossless as well, and it'll it'll pull it straight from the CD, good to go. So that is uh, Max and wanted he uh, he wanted to share, and so I thought here we go. The other thing I wanted to share is uh, you all know that I am a Vonage user, and uh, we use Vonage quite a bit here at TMO and Backbeat Media, sort of as we're spread across this uh, this great great earth we're on here. Right now, uh, Vonage has been through some problems, as you may have known, and, and they're trying to sign up new customers. Uh, the service works great. I've never had a problem with the service, and if you want service, you can actually get not only get a month free, but get 50 bucks. Uh, so if you want that, let me know. It also earns us 50 bucks, which isn't bad. I'll put it back into the, the kitty for the, for the show here, which always helps. But, uh, but if you want 50 bucks and, and you've been thinking about trying Vonage, let me know. I can, I can send you an invite and, uh, and that's, uh, that's that. Do you have anything else to, to add this, uh, this evening, John? It's been a long day. You know, it's interesting. I, I didn't mention I'm this I'm already kind of cranky that, you know, I'm in the salt mines here. I mean, you know, working on a holiday. That's right. Well, the interesting well, of course thing we is, did have a nice vacation. John and I were together <laughs> this morning, and uh, but yet we're doing the show, you know, a couple hundred miles apart. Uh, we we were up at uh, in Westover, Vermont, this weekend, and put John on a train at about twelve thirty, and uh, and here we are doing the show eight hours later. So, oh, and man, oh, the ticket cost from Vermont to New Haven thirty dollars. Yeah. You got. I don't think you're going to do that with gas with a gasoline powered vehicle. At no least way. Not, not these days. No way. We it 
to get, and we're about the same distance away, well, at least time-wise, uh, as we were from, from where you are in Connecticut. And I mean, gas cost us, we probably paid, I don't know, 100 bucks in gas to get to and from this weekend, so... You got yeah. off cheap so ticket the train. Old, yeah, that's Yeah, great. they were on Vermont. The, the only thing is they were on Vermont time. Mm -hmm. you know, Vermont's a kind of... I mean, you know, Connecticut and the whole, you know, New York metro area is pretty late, but not. <laughs> <laughs> Vermont, I mean, you know, Vermont time, like, you know, the duck race. I remember the duck race. You know, that's always fun. Yeah. They're like, yep, man, they're supposed to be coming at noon. Yep. About 12.30, they roll around. No problem. <laughs> iPhoneAlley.com is Michael Johnston's site. He is the one that converts this show into AAC for most of you now. It seems like the majority of you are downloading this in enhanced AAC, which is fantastic, I think. And uh, and, and so iPhoneAlley.com is his site, uh, which I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of traffic come uh, later in June. When, uh, yeah, we're supposed to June, see that that's right. Yeah, it's coming. That's, uh, that's, that's what, what they, they say. Yeah, that's right. The uh, Podcast and New Media Expo is in September the 28th and through 30th, and uh, it's out in Ontario, California. John and I will likely be there. If you're going to be there, let us know. Maybe we'll get together. We'll, I don't know. I'm sure there'll be some sort of gathering that makes sense to uh, to, to kind of hook up. Cashfly yeah. Hosting is where you download this show. What, what were you going to say, John? No, I said you got it right this time. Though. Thank you. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I try my best. <laughs> Uh, the podcast marketplace this month includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, one free download from Audible as long as you click the link in the show notes, and Page Sender from Smile on My Mac, Page Sender 4. The Backbeat Media Podcast Network is where you go to sponsor this show. And uh, I think that's it. We're out of here. We might have juiced invites, I think. It's possible I have a I couple of those. I can't run it. No, you don't have an Intel Mac. <laughs> So if you have an Intel Mac and you want Juiced, let uh, let us know. We, we might have a couple of Juiced invites available, I think. And maybe we have Unlimited. I don't know. I uh, I can't keep track of all this stuff. It's a Monday of a holiday weekend. What do you expect? Kind of fuzzy. <laughs> You're always kind of fuzzy. But the good news is you always remember, don't get caught. Made up.